to the Paul Bunyan podcast. We have a lot to talk to, talk about this week. Uh, four games on each side. Yep. We're going into March. We're going into the Big Ten tournament. Michigan, Michigan State played each other. Um, real quick, just want to remind everyone we're brought to we are brought to you by Farbar. Uh, he's actually running the sale right now. If you want to get some swag, Joe, do you want to get some swag? I do. Actually, I'm <laughs> sitting right next to a Farbar hat. Um, and then also. We're on all your social media platforms, uh, Bookface, Twitter, uh, Instamam. Uh, you can find <laughs> us. You can <laughs> you can send us an email at thepaulbunyanpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but we can get right into the Michigan-Michigan State game, Joe, if you're ready. That's right. This was the rematch of the game in East Lansing, this one taking place in Ann Arbor. And... Um, you know, I'll talk about the Michigan State Purdue game more in a couple segments, but I was I was really disappointed the way that Michigan State came out defensively in Ann Arbor after they really played a heck of a defensive game against Purdue. Yeah, and uh, Michigan really needed this. Uh, it was right after the Illinois game, and what kind of concerned me is it was getting to a point where I felt like Michigan State really needed a win too. Like down the stretch, yeah. they've had some. Uh, what have they lost seven of ten or something? Yeah, yeah. they had lost. I think they had this a three-game losing streak going into the yeah. game. And I think before the Maryland game, they had lost 7-10, obviously. They've, and uh, what was uh, Michi- Michigan State coming off of? Was this right after they beat Purdue? Yeah. 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 So they went from Purdue on Saturday to Ann Arbor on Tuesday. And Michigan lost to Illinois that Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that actually prepared me a little bit. Actually, once Michigan State beat Purdue, they really didn't necessarily need this game. They probably just wanted it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, up-down theory, uh, I actually went to this game feeling good because I felt like Michigan State might not need it as bad as if they had lost that Purdue game. Because we talked about it la- uh, last time that they were probably in the tournament, but if they don't get some wins, they might have a really uh, – High C. Yeah, it might not be it, it might be a short stay. Yeah. Um and uh Michigan like really needed this game. Um at this point I kind of felt like they needed to win two of their next three. You're probably not gonna get Ohio State in Columbus. I was wrong. Um so <laughs> I was really looking like get Michigan State at home, get Iowa at home. Those are two tournament teams. Yeah, and, uh, and then you're kind of playing with house money when you mm-hmm. go to Columbus. Yeah. So yeah, I was just really disappointed with the effort that was there for Michigan State. Like it, when the game started out, both teams were hitting their shots. You know, it was going back and forth. Like it was two nothing, then it was three two. You know, it's done for a while. Yeah, so I think the last good thing to happen for Michigan State was like they were down eleven to nine, and Joey Hauser hit a three in transition. And then it, it was just a crazy run by Michigan. Like, what was it, 14 straight? Yeah, I think that was the last time Michigan State held the lead. It was 12-11. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I was a bit worried 
early on because I was like, is Michigan going to be able to keep up? And right. it was actually the other way. I really like that they defended completely different than the first game. Um, yeah, because the first game, you know, Walker and Hogard were able to get into the paint at will. Yeah, they were much. bringing their bigs out. And uh, I was really disappointed that Michigan didn't really ever change strategy in the yeah. middle of the game. Uh, I was surprised Michigan State didn't change strategy because – while Michigan was hitting threes, and I have the numbers later, I didn't think that was sustainable, but Hunter Dickinson went for 33. 21 of those were in the second half, uh, and we kind of mentioned this. Uh, I would have ended up doubling him, uh, yeah, especially by the second point, half. Yeah. And we also talked about Michigan's actually shooting worse when they're wide open from three versus the catch and shoot. Yeah, although that didn't really happen in that game because, like, Houston – had a couple open looks. I think he missed his first wide open three, but I think he only hit second. one. Yeah, but then it seemed like he got into a rhythm. Williams, Terrence Williams. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Izzo was surprised by that. Um, you know, I wrote off Terrence Williams because he's definitely struggled as of late, but he's shown flashes of that, and that was kind of the book on him coming out of high school. Yeah, was that he could hit the three, and so I mean, at a certain point. Some guys might not hit it consistently, but you know they have it in their game. I didn't like the fact that Bingham only got nine minutes. I didn't understand that at all. He only had two personal fouls, so it wasn't like a foul trouble issue. You know, Julius Marble got 17 minutes. Mati Sissoko got 11. I mean, Hauser got 22 minutes. It just didn't, didn't really make sense to me. I don't like. I'm pretty sure that you put, uh, you put him on on Dickinson for a full 40 minutes. Like Dickinson's going to do some damage, but I think out of those three options, like Bingham's the best option to defend Hunter Dickinson. I think Bingham had a plus best plus minus too. Yes. I mean, granted he only played. That didn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. I've questioned that a lot, but I even wrote here. uh, These are notes I took while watching the game. I liked Izzo's game plan in the first game. I did not like it in this game. And that's kind of going on that too. Uh, I I don't understand the way he's divided up minutes uh, among the bigs going back to last year. Yeah, no, that's, Something I'm definitely going to talk about more when we uh, focus in on Michigan State. Um, Michigan was scoring inside and out, and I felt like the outside shooting was not sustain- sustainable. Yeah. So and I think you put Bingham in there and even double Dickinson at times, and I think this game might play out differently. Yeah, I, I, I predicted Michigan to win, but I didn't think it was going to be you know a boring game that I'm not. I don't want to watch the second half. What did you but, predict? Uh, Michigan by 10? I think so. And I think you said like Michigan by six. six. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was kind of surprising to me because when the game was still pretty competitive, Devontae Jones picked up his second foul pretty early on. And then Frankie Collins came in and the team actually performed a lot better. Like, And I'll get into this the next uh, segment when we focus on all Michigan's games. I was a little concerned going in the next year about the point guard. Mm-hmm. And Collins has shown enough in the last few games. And, you, yeah. and Williams, too, uh, that I, I'm much higher on them going into next year. You said William? Oh, oh Terrence okay. Williams not and not Frankie Collins. Okay, yep, for yeah. some reason I thought you just, like... Yeah, just him, too, because <laughs> actually Terrence Williams has played even better than Collins. But those were two guys. I mean, I wrote off Terrence Williams on the last podcast. I was telling you I didn't mind if he transferred. <laughs> and now I look like a dum-dum because uh, uh, he, I mean – and we'll get into it, too. Uh, against Ohio State, he played even better than in the Michigan State game. Yeah. Um, 
again, just coming off like the the high of the the emotional win against Purdue, I just thought the Michigan State would come out with a similar fire, knowing like, hey, this is a chance for us to right the ship. And you know, I'm happy that they went two and two down the stretch because I know it could have gone worse. Like I was worried about going zero and four, but after they picked up that Purdue win, I was thinking like you win in Ann Arbor, then like you're looking at going three and one, maybe four and oh, with some lucky breaks down the stretch. And they just didn't play good defense. You know, AJ Hogard after having one of his best games against Purdue, I guess had like an illness or something. He didn't start against Michigan, only played 11 minutes, uh, finished with two points and one rebound. So. And when he was in too, the point guard position, whether it was Collins or if it was um, Devontae Davis or Devontae Jones, Devontae Jones, <laughs> Devontae Davis is someone else. Uh, like he had a terrible plus minus. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's a reason he only played 11 minutes, but then, you know, you're asking a lot out of Walker knowing they're also turning around in two days to go to Columbus. So yeah, just, I mean, disappoint, disappointing. It seemed like they were lazy, just like, Michigan got in a in a rhythm early on, and you know Michigan State couldn't keep up the rhythm that they started the first five minutes or so with, and felt like Michigan could score at will, fifty eight percent from two, fifty eight percent from three. It was a great bounce back game against a rival. Um, I'll get into it a little bit, but coming off the Illinois game, um, the offense wasn't the issue. Illinois could score at will, so I was like worried, especially when Michigan State was scoring. Early on, like their spacing seems to be issues. Uh, Phil Martelli, ton of experience, but he's not the head coach of this team. And um, Illinois, just like Michigan's defense looked out of sorts, but I thought they did better here. Michigan State, giving them credit in the second half, they made some runs. It was like, oh, could they do something miraculous here? And Michigan responded. Um, and, you know, not all teams do. Some teams get a big lead, and then when they get punched in the face, they look weak. Yeah, I was kind of hoping Michigan State might just, like, put in the reserves early to kind of rest <laughs> up for the game in Columbus on Thursday night. But, yeah, I mean – I, I didn't really watch much of the second half just because I didn't want to be <laughs> – sometimes when I know Michigan State's going to lose the game, even though we run this podcast, like I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time, so I'll find other stuff to do, <laughs> like homework or like reading something if, if I know they're going to lose the game. So I, I had it on kind of in the background. I was keeping an eye on the score, and it was kind of like every time Michigan State – I was like, oh, you know what? It's a 10-point game. Maybe if they get a stop in a, bu- in a bucket. But then, like, no, it was, like, an automatic two for Hunter Dickinson every mm-hmm. time. So. Um, Izzo got really mad at Dickinson in the second half. And uh, I actually thought uh, he had a point because I know among Michigan's team, they did not like Max Christie talking trash the first game. Well, that one was, like, kind of – it was a That nice... was a back and forth between sure. Houston and Christie. But uh, I think – uh, Izzo saying he was okay with it after the game too. Yeah, the Christie tra- trash talk, and it was it was in response. But I mean, I kind of think Dickinson thought this was in response to that. But yeah. when you're doing it after every play, it was kind of like, have you played basketball before? <laughs> like, it's just kind of like an act like you've been there. But, I mean, I get it. Like I love players that play with emotion, but it was also just like, okay. And this isn't a Michigan State thing because he's done it right. to Maryland too yeah but um, he's, he's from the Maryland yeah and they didn't, Maryland, recruit, yeah. they didn't recruit him so the, I mean I get it you know like if if it was my if it was a player from my team doing that putting up 33 and like flexing and yelling like I can't say I'd be against I think it. Martelli's <laughs> issue was he was doing it every play because uh Dickinson sat for a while after that 
Um, I think Izzo thought, uh, just based on his comments, that Dickinson was looking at him. Yeah. Dickinson said he was looking at the bench. Um, so I, I thought it would be <laughs> weird not to at least bring that up. It was also like, um, how many other opposing team coaches are, is Michigan going to get into, <laughs> uh, at least, you know, uh, a at war least Izzo, of Izzo made his stance on the handshake line very clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought it was funny. It was kind of like when Izzo was asked about the Michigan-Wisconsin situation, it was kind of a layup for him to respond. Dickinson was asked if uh, Izzo shook his hand, and he was like, well, he said he was going to shake his hand, shake my hand, so he did it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought <laughs> He's a man of his word that yeah. time. <laughs> I I, the, I I thought the body language uh, from Michigan players, though, uh, in the handshake line, because, of course, that's what everyone was talking right. about. <laughs> they did not look happy with Izzo. Um, I don't know why. Uh, maybe just because he was <laughs> saying something. Um, I also think there's certain coaches, and Howard's one of them. Uh, there's a guy in Iowa that's like that, too, and Izzo that are very um, – uh, expressive during games. Oh yeah, probably aren't favorites among uh, opposing players. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, it probably was not um, Izzo's uh, favorite game. No, I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't. I didn't watch the handshake line. <laughs> I, I, I only saw it on social media, and I purposely stayed off social media during the game. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna lock on. Um, I'm not really smart. a superstitious guy, but. As Michael Scott says, I might be a little stitious. Uh, <laughs> I just, there is like a feeling where it's like, you, I know what I do isn't going to affect the game, but I don't want to jinx it. Right. And also just like if you're tweeting, you're kind of looking away from the game. Like yes. the, the worse the game is going, the more I'm tweeting. And even if the game's going well, something in your timeline can just, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. That trolling is like annoying me. <laughs> Why ruin like the, um, Orgasmic feeling I'm feeling during this game. If a game's going really well, I probably won't be tweeting very much or like on my phone at all. Yeah. Yeah. If if a game's going poorly, then I'm going to be. There's two different fans. I think there's fans that stay on Twitter when things are going well or Facebook. And then there's the fans that stay completely off it. And I think it's interesting. Uh, Colin Cowherd, um, who's not necessarily my favorite radio host, but I thought this was interesting because he's worked everywhere. different parts of the country now has a national show. He says like in the Northeast, when a team loses, that's when the phones light up for like a call-in show. <laughs> Whereas on the West coast, the phones light up after they win yeah. and you get less interaction when the team loses. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Graham, Graham couch uh, writes for the Lancy state journal. who has a, a podcast that I like to listen to a lot. Says a lot of times his columns get more, clicks when because you know it's digital journalism these days they get more clicks when michigan state's winning because people want to read about it more and i I think that's that is kind of true like you'll want to call in and like express your anger if your team lost but if if your team won you want to read about it you know you want to get as much information about it as possible yeah it's interesting like how different fan bases respond uh, at this point, too, after Michigan won this, I was like, oh, they're going to a tournament. Yeah. Like, it, w- it wasn't a quad one win because Michigan State was like right outside the top 30. But yeah, it if, if, if felt like, I mean, we, we were of the thought before the Rutgers game that Michigan needed like what, three wins? I said two. Yeah. Okay. I think we, we said like two and then just like don't look bad in the tournament, the mm-hmm. Big Ten tournament. And, yeah, I mean, w- with how convincingly they won on Tuesday night, I I felt it was pretty safe. Different bracketologists said different things, and then it was like, where are those wins coming? Where are those losses coming? Like, how do you look? 
I was apparently in the minority. I didn't even think they need the win against Ohio State necessarily. It depended on what they did in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, who they played. Uh, I thought like there there are some people not to cut you off or like get to a head. There are some people who think like Michigan can't lose to Indiana on Thursday if if they want to like guarantee their spot. I'm I'm not of that no. belief. They I, may end up in the first four. Yeah, I I, th- I think they've done it. I think they're in a similar spot as Michigan State this time last year. I was just saying, like, okay, if they lose to Ohio State on the road, but then they beat um, Indiana and Illinois in the tournament, like, I, I kind of have a hard time keeping them out at that point, too. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, like, I, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I don't really have too much more to say about this game, but so I'll, I'll let you finish up whatever you need to say. No, no. This Actually, that's about all I had. Okay. Too, I mean, I, I was, there's so many games to talk about. Usually like, with these games, like the winner has more to say than the <laughs> loser. I um, mean, these, these two teams, Michigan and Michigan State, I mean, I, I know Michigan State just got their 20th win, but like throughout the season, it seemed like, they were so evenly matched. It's just like one team yeah, was early. riding a high while the other was riding a low, and then they kind of flipped. So it's it's fitting that you know Michigan State had like a sixteen or eighteen point home win over Michigan. Then Michigan had a seventeen point home win over Michigan State. So yeah, it's, it's fitting around the time of the first when the first game was supposed to happen. I think you'd be shocked to say they actually have kind of had similar seasons, but they have. Yeah, like I'm of I'm of the belief if, if Michigan didn't get COVID and they, they played that it was, it was supposed to be Michigan state Saturday and then Purdue Tuesday. I, I don't think they win either of those games. No, so, but not, I, not a conspiracy theory or anything. That's just how I, I, you know, that's just how it happened. Well, they would have been, um, they would have been, been shorthanded too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely, uh, think they would put up a fight after seeing what they did uh, against Illinois though. Yeah. That kind of shocked me and that kind of seemed to be when the season turned. Yeah. But, uh, well, on the next segment, who are we talking? We're going to talk in Michigan on the next one. Okay. So overall for Michigan, it's been up and down. They lose to uh, tournament. They lose to two tournament teams. They beat two tournament teams. The two they beat end up being their rivals. One on a, uh, well, in Columbus against Ohio State. So it's a road game. Um, Michigan lately has been a win one, lose one type of team. Um, but overall, they're 10 and 6 in their last 16 games, almost all against uh, tournament teams. One of the reasons I haven't been too mad about the win one, lose one is yeah. they haven't played a team that's not going to a tournament, I think, since Penn State. Are you yeah, looking you at their schedule? go back their last eight, they've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. So, and all eight of those. Uh, so they games, will lose to Indiana on Thursday. <laughs> there's some people who think that's true. <laughs> Um, and actually, I'll get into that because this really seems like a scenario that can't be screwed with because all signs pointed to them losing against Ohio State. But right. this win-loss uh, <laughs> pattern cannot be <laughs> overcome. But that means they will win their first game in the NCAA tournament. Yes. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but then they'll lose in the second game. <laughs> so uh, um, I want to open with the Illinois, Illinois game. Yeah. High yeah. scoring affair. Yeah, Alfonso Plummer couldn't miss, uh, but also Michigan couldn't defend ball screens. I mean, they yeah. scored 85 points. I mentioned it in the last segment. The offense looked fine for the most part, uh, but the defense, like, j- they just couldn't get out of their own way. And then uh, Illinois was just 
you know, strong. Um, of course, this is coming off a episode where I said the defense is getting better. And the defense would redeem itself in a couple games. Uh, I Actually, overall, I thought they played well against Michigan State, especially when Michigan State was scoring a lot early. And then uh, they came back and they looked really good against Ohio State, too. Yeah. Um, I do think they probably are a top 30 defense. But, I mean, just being in the top 30 also means there's going to be some inconsistency. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when Illinois stars are hitting, so like Plummer finished with 26, I think he got like 24 of those in the first half. 7 11 from the floor in the first half, including five from eight from long distance. Oh, so he had all of his 20, all uh, of his seven, points in the first half. Uh, the seven from 11, I remember noting, was in the first half. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I don't know if all five of those three pointers were. Coburn actually ended up with more points, he 27. scored 27. But it didn't feel like it because if you watch the full game, it's like, wow, Plummer is hitting everything. Like I tweeted out, he was having a Bryn Forbes first half, uh, and then and then Coburn was just like getting, he, he was getting all the dirty buckets. He was just consistent. Uh, anytime Michigan started to make a run, uh, Coburn seemed to be there with a two. Uh, Michigan's offense, like I said, was able to keep pace at times, but Illinois had a consistent uh, eight point lead, uh, including being up. Uh, eight at the half and yeah. at times they were able to push it to double digits but they ultimately won by eight uh illinois overall shot 72 percent from the field uh at the under 10 minute mark illinois led by 15 and in just three minutes michigan was able to cut it to 76 yeah. to 71 uh but the, if their defense would have clapped down this could have been a more interesting game but illinois of course. Yeah, I, I give them credit because it's easier to throw in the towel if the other team is just shooting so ridiculously well like that. The defense uh, just seemed now sorts or spacing issues. They seemed a little confused at times. Um, you know, it's it's so funny how this has been a roller coaster ride the last few games because it really seems like it's almost less about whether they're hitting their shots. Uh, we'll get to Caleb Houston not shooting well against Ohio State later. Yeah. Um, but like. Uh, and their defensive performance against Ohio State, which we'll get to, was great. And I, like I said, I think at times it's been great. But against Illinois and then later against Iowa, just really bad. Yeah. And another aspect is like Michigan had 10 points off the bench, two from Williams, two from Bufkin, six from Collins. And Illinois had, you know, Curbelo scored 12 alone off the bench. So, yeah. I do think, though, uh, Curbelo got so hyped up. Last year. He had such a good close to the season last year, aside from the uh, Loyola-Chicago game. But, yeah, a lot of times you see that – I don't want to say sophomore slump, but, like, you see someone who had a hot finish to a year. Like, momentum doesn't necessarily carry between seasons, especially in college. Yeah, look at Brandon Johns. Um, but and people compared him to, like, some other players in the Big Ten, and it's like these other guys just seem so much better. Yeah. Like, some of the guy, I won't embarrass anyone, but like some people that were comparing Carmelo to certain players, it just does not add up yeah. this year. Um, yeah, you like you said, Coburn had 27, Fraser had 17. Um, oh, someone I was watching this game with, a mutual friend of ours, I won't say their name to embarrass them. Uh, but at first, I thought he was saying Cockburn to be funny, and then. Later found out he actually thought it was pronounced Cockburn. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't watch <laughs> or, like, talk about it consistently, then it's like... Well, or just one time that being is how corrected. It's, yeah. I mean, I thought it was Cockburn first. I, I didn't really take Illinois seriously when you first said they were, like, building something <laughs> right. there. Right, when I saw it, when, like, 
when he announced he was committing to Illinois, I saw that name and I was like, that is a hilarious name. Coffee. Cockburn. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrible. But then like I hear it's Kofi Coburn. I'm like, yeah, okay. I've gotten that from coffee before. You spill it on your lap and next thing you don't. I mean, last year Izzo in his press in a post game press conference was calling him Cockburn. Oh yeah, I remember. I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't figure out if he was trolling. Like, or I not. know, I know you know how to say that. Probably recruited him. Uh Jones and Houston had 25 and 21. Uh Dickinson and Diabate 13 and 12. Despite having a combined 34 points, Dickinson and Houston struggled really defensively in this game. Uh, Colburn definitely had a better game than Dickinson. Um, but the defense would recover. Um, they played much better against Michigan State. We can skip over that since we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> uh, but then the defense, I thought, didn't look good against Isla either. And um, when you look back at preseason predictions, I nailed like the obvious that Purdue was going to be good, Minnesota was going to be bad. I was right that Illinois was going to be better than some people expected. I remember telling you like before the season started, I'm like, I'm sad. I think Illinois is going to be a top three team, yeah. and um, they end up sharing the Big Ten with Wisconsin, who I doubted along with Iowa all year, and they made me look dumb. I wasn't even sure if Iowa was going to make the tournament. To be fair, I. Iowa under Fran McCaffrey has that track record that has been proven where they will get (laughs) off to a really good start and get people believing, and then they will collapse and lose a lot of games not supposed to. But give them credit, this year has been quite the opposite. Yeah, and Iowa was hot coming into this game, but they were hot when Michigan went to Iowa and beat them. Yeah. So I really thought Michigan (laughs) would beat them at home. And uh Michigan seemed to be one of the few teams that had Iowa's number in the last few weeks. But going into this game, it's at, in Ann Arbor. It's senior night. Michigan would like needs to win one of the next two probably. You think they get Iowa at home because that's the more likely scenario versus beating Ohio State and Columbus. Yeah. And this felt like a repeat of the Illinois game. Uh, I'm really glad these didn't happen back-to-back because I would have been really down <laughs> on the team. Um, again, Michigan looked pretty efficient on offense. You can probably nitpick there. I'm sure there's some X's and O's guys that would, but Iowa could not be stopped. Some of that was Iowa playing well, and some of that was just Michigan lapsing on defense. Yeah. I mean, Iowa did have a lot of just, like, ridiculous shots go in. Like, I mean, it's, it's, they were pure. Like, I mean, they swished them through, but it's like, wow, he's pulling up from way downtown, which I know Jordan Bohannon does a lot. And him and the Murrays just had so many points. Yeah. And there was times where you're like, oh, that's a bad shot. And then it goes in. Yeah. There was some of that. Keegan at 23 and then Bohannon and K.R. Murray. I think his full name is Krispy Kreme. Had 19 (laughs) each. And then Tony Perkins had 13. And it felt like Michigan didn't have an answer for that. Diabate had a rough game. Uh, The rest of the starters, I thought, showed up on offense. But the defense was rough. And then the bench didn't have a good game. Um at least not really. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Williams and Johns both had four, but nobody played more than nine minutes off the bench, so all of the starters played 30-plus minutes, including Brooks, who was having a really nice offensive game, uh, who played all 40. Yeah, and he's played all 40 a lot recently. Yeah. Um, I would. I wish I could. I wrote down every time he did. I think he. I might have wrote that he did in the Ohio State game, but there's been a few games in the last few weeks where he's played all 40. Uh, Michigan versus Ohio State, I will call the Devontae Jones game. There was no Howard. There was no Dickinson. And it was no problem. And I was talking about that pattern. Uh, this was also a road game. It was against a ranked 
ranked rival. And Caleb couldn't hit anything. And he made up for it on the defensive side. And like I said, he's shown a lot defensively. He definitely isn't quite consistent yet. But compared to two months ago, he's a different player defensively. Yeah. Uh, but Jones just took over this game. Uh, there were smaller lineups, uh, which led to Michigan's fast break points. Uh, they played faster. They didn't have a lot of turnovers. And uh, Ohio State kind of had the uh, – because of injuries, um, they had a guy out, their big guy. Zed Key. Uh, and then they had another guy that only played because he tweaked his ankle again during the game. Yeah, well, I think Zed Key didn't play versus Michigan State and then tried to go against Michigan but tweaked his ankle. Yeah, yeah. so it just led to weird lineups on – for both teams, and it just felt like Michigan adjusted better. Yeah, they were forcing turnovers. Um, uh, they were playing really good defense, and this game really shouldn't have been as it didn't feel as close as it ended up being. Yeah, you you said it was the Devontae Jones game, which is fair. I mean, he finished with twenty one and nine. I'm gonna say it was the Terrence Williams game because he came off the bench and really performed well in twenty five minutes. Yes, he did. Uh and I think I have it right here. What, fourteen points in twenty five minutes? Uh I got seventeen. Okay, it might be seventeen. I was just trying to go off the top of my head. Believe it or not, Eli Brooks played uh all forty minutes. I don't yeah, know if we he, talked was, about that. Was he that the one earlier. with three steals? Yes. I think so. <laughs> yeah, he had three steals. Yep, because Michigan, um seven different Wolverines got steals. They that's really a big part of this game. Uh Brooks had three he also, yeah, he played all 40 minutes. Your boy, Jaron Folds, <laughs> That's it, yep. <laughs> uh, was uh, plus six on the night. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was the main reason they won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Terrence Williams, <laughs> like we say, <laughs> our favorite player. Uh, Terrence Williams, like I said, he's been playing really well recently. Uh, 17 points in 25 minutes, as you said. Diabate and Brooks each had 14. If you watch live, and I don't know if you watch much much in a game, though. I watched most of the first half, and then I had to take off to East Lansing. I was at the state game on Sunday. Jones just felt like the emotional and physical leader. Yeah. Well, I saw one play that uh, Eli Brooks made where he was, like, in the air, and he had to, like – it was a transition one. Like, I think he got the steal and for some reason, like, jumped at the same time that I think it was Malachi Branham jumped, and he did, like, this sweet pass, like, across – behind like Malachi Branham's body and you know uh Houston missed the layup but thankfully Diabate was right there yep. to put it right back. Their transition offense and defense was really good. On the offensive side the passing after steals was really good. And on the defensive side uh when Ohio State would try to push it down the court they were getting so many steals. Um uh EJ Liddell's senior night was ruined and my Sunday was awesome because of it. Uh, like I said, the game was tighter than it had any right to be. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for – there wasn't a lot of fouls called for most of the game. There were enough that it sent D- Diabate to the bench uh, right before uh, the half, and that led to Ohio State 11-4 run that pushed them to have a seven-point lead at halftime. And they really needed that because once the second half started, Michigan took over. And then the refs got whistle happy at the end of the game, especially on um, Michigan's side, mm-hmm. uh, to a point where um, Jones is getting elbowed and should be getting that and one on his layup. Not only does he fall to the floor and they not stop play, Ohio State goes down and scores immediately because it's five on four. I think yeah. it led to a three. Ohio State hit a couple of those late that made it seem closer. And then it felt like any time Ohio State drove, it was like automatic foul. Um, that is annoying when when it's like it's not called consistently like that. Like a lot of times they'll let them play in the first half, which I thought they were doing a lot of. 
Like yeah. I said, I didn't, I didn't get to watch the second half as much, but they did until near like, the end. It felt like they wanted a game to be close. Like when I was watching the first half, I was like, "Wow, that could have been a foul, and that could have been like for for both sides." Yeah, yeah, I felt like it was it was called consistently till the end. Yeah. And so going into the game, you were of the belief that Michigan didn't need to win to solidify themselves. Not necessarily, and I'll tell you why. Because obviously the matchups weren't made yet, mm-hmm. but let's say. Excuse me. Let's say uh, it's the same, even though it wouldn't have been if they lost the game. But if you beat Indiana and then you turn around and beat Illinois on neutral courts, you're telling me they won't get in? Right. Yeah. I, I know a road one is definitely a lot more. But, I mean, at that point, let's say if they beat Indiana and then they beat Illinois, they would be in the Big Ten tournament finals, right? Yeah. I have a hard time believing Well, they would be in the semifinals. They would be playing Saturday against, uh, like, Rutgers or Iowa. Okay. Probably. And then they'd be one game. Okay, and then Sunday would be a yeah. finals. And then, I, I don't know, I, I I like their chances well enough against Rutgers and Iowa after coming off of beating Illinois. Like, but even at that point, that would be enough to me. Like, Yeah. I'm, I, I think it's best for them that they did get it because, you know, 17 and 13 with, with the amount of quad one wins that Michigan has is, is probably going to get them in. Uh, especially knowing like the whole Howard situation and, you know, Dickinson has missed games and Diabate has had to miss some games. But if, if they had lost and they were 16 and 14 and then say like, they just have a bad day and they do lose to Indiana, then you're 16 and oh, yeah, 15. Well, yeah. Well, like, uh, if they lose both, I, I wouldn't say they're getting in. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just didn't think like it was. Totally, think, yeah. Okay. I got you. I just think it would make it uh, harder uh, on themselves. If they uh, didn't, um, I, I was yeah. looking for a specific tweet. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just laughing at this Twitter Twitter handle, uh, but uh, actually, it's a Michigan State fan said, "Why did it take them so long to blow the whistle when Jones was laying deceased on the floor?" And it, <laughs> it was true. And I actually was looking for a different uh, tweet from him, but uh, is it Bo Borowski? Borowski. Borowski. He was the one uh, ref in this game and. Yeah, he's, I was, I was really happy when I saw that. <laughs> when I tuned into the Michigan Ohio State game and I saw that Borowski was calling that game, I was like, "Yes!" Because he is, that means this, the chances of him making it to East Lansing for the four thirty MSU game are very low. He's consistently awful, yeah. and it felt like they just wanted to extend that. He's game. the new Teddy Valentine. Yes, yes, he is, and it felt Which like you you shouldn't know any refs' names. Yeah, TV Teddy. Uh, it felt like uh, they wanted to extend this game and keep it close to keep an audience. It really yeah. did feel like that in real time. Um, and I just, I actually didn't think the, the refs uh, in the big 10 had a very good uh, last few days. Anyway, you had, yeah. uh, I actually tweeted something out uh, uh, from someone who's not a fan of Iowa or Illinois, but watching this game, can we all agree that big 10 officials are some of the worst refs ever? And mm-hmm. uh not that I really care about Iowa, but I kind of felt like they got screwed against Illinois. Yeah. Um, uh, in retrospect, I kind of don't like that Illinois and Wisconsin shared the Big Ten title. Um, Not but a deal. I wasn't yeah. even thinking about that in the back of my head. How did you feel that one year that Michigan shared it with Michigan State and Ohio State? I was <laughs> very. That was like the funniest freeway tie. It was. It is really funny. Well, I mean, I was very happy at the time. I really felt like Beeline was building something. Yeah. Um, they really improved the year before, got to the tournament. When See, I, on one hand, sorry, not to digress too much, but on one hand, like I was happy that they won the championship, Michigan State did, because that year was not expected to be much, and they ended up 
playing themselves into a one seed. But I was upset that they clinched a, at least a share, and then like they had a big home lead against Ohio State. And I knew if they lost, both Michigan and Ohio State would get a share of the Big Ten title as well. And Michigan State won; they got it outright. And like I, during that time, Michigan State Ohio State was one of the best basketball rivalries. And then Michigan Michigan State was becoming more intense too. So I was like, I do not want to share it with these two. <laughs> so that was a devastating. I mean, loss Trey Burke's me. year was kind of unexpected. He was yeah. a top hundred recruit, but not. I think it was like eighty. Like overall. Ohio State was expected to be there because they had like Jared Sullinger, William Buford, Aaron Kraft. They were expected to win the Big Ten that year. Michigan and Michigan State were not expected. To be there. No, in the last few times Michigan had made the tournament, they had been a ten seed, and that year they were a three seed. And unfortunately, they lost to Ohio. Yeah, but that also led to some players coming back that won it, and that and they got to a title mm-hmm. game. And it yeah. also led to John Gross, the Ohio coach, taking the job at Illinois, which led to Karis Levert, who was an Ohio commit decommitting from Ohio and going to Michigan. Yeah, I mean, it all. Worked. I mean, so you can understand why I was happy about all this. Yeah, sorry, not to, dig- <laughs> not to digress. It was too the much, best. But... It was the best Michigan basketball had been in like over fifteen years, maybe even twenty. Um, so yeah, I was very happy with everything that happened that year. And that was ten years ago <laughs> to make you feel really yeah, old. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> all right, but on the other side, we can talk Michigan State. Oh, uh, are we talking? Uh, March thoughts too, real quick. Yeah, go right ahead. Oh, okay. I expect them to beat um, Indiana and uh, probably lose to Illinois. I did not want to draw Illinois. Yeah. Uh, Michigan just doesn't match up well with them. Illinois kind of has their number. Uh, but I mean, if they win against Indiana, uh, they're definitely, definitely in. Yeah, might... that that eliminates the odds of Indiana jumping. Michigan, which I don't think Indiana would, even if they won. No, this is like deja vu, just with a different coach uh, as mm-hmm. last year. Um, just some real end of the season thoughts, even though it's not totally end, but end, end of the, the regular end. season. Uh, Jones' ascension isn't over. He keeps con- getting better and better, improving, improving uh, as he gets comfortable with this offense, with this level of competition. Completely different player than he was two months ago. Uh, Williams uh, is ha- having some really awesome games, which we talked about down the stretch. Uh, and it's not just Benchman at Sealer. You know, he's coming in and he's looking like a starter, yeah. doing things in 25 minutes that you would expect a starter to do, even if he begins the game on the bench. Uh, Buffkin continues to improve, not on the level that Jones and Williams are. Uh, and Williams isn't even on Jones' level. And then Collins, he's showing life. Uh, and he's given uh, Michigan fans confidence at the point guard position going forward because early in the season he was definitely a flashy player, but it's like he hadn't really done a lot, and now he's had some uh, sequences where it's like, wow, that's a really good player. He's taking yeah. command of the offense. Um, but, yeah, we can talk Michigan State on the other yeah, side. Yeah, I was just going to say, if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be really excited about uh, the upcoming – like the, the class that's coming in, I know they got Jet Howard and um, – that center, I had his name earlier, but actually Michigan, the Michigan State was big on him too. Uh, but just like the way that Frankie Collins and Kobe Bufkin and Terrence Williams have played, you know, those are freshmen and sophomores. And then also, like, don't forget about Will Cheddar. Like he's redshirting this year, but that dude, if if he plays with Diabate, like that's going to make for some really interesting floor spacing because Cheddar can shoot the ball from the four spot, assuming yep. he plays the four. But then, you know, like. Assuming Dickinson is gone, let's say Diabate comes back and plays the five, then that's going to make for some really interesting lineup opportunities for Michigan. Yeah, Terrace so, Reed is the center. You Terrace Reed, thank you. He's actually edges out Jet Howard, one's 35, one's 37. 
uh, in rankings. Then you have Doug McDaniel, who's going to be a point guard, uh, four-star, ranked about the same place Collins was. And then you have a power forward in Greg Glenn. And I think either Diabate or Dickinson's going to uh, leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a chance both. But I just think the way um, NIL uh, was set up now, or NLI, and NIL, so you, oh, you yeah, can still make some money in college, like not can, NBA money, but you can. It's it's not how it used to be. Where I think Dickinson, even though he said he's definitely going pro after this year, if Diabate leaves, I could see Dickinson sticking around. He might make more money in college <laughs> than he would going pro because I just see him on a two way contract. Yeah, and. I mean, he's the type of player this is set up for. So I think there's a really good chance one of them comes back. Last I saw, Diabate is either late first or second round. Yeah, the NBA likes to draft on potential. And, you know, Diabate, I think he's got a similar body to Jaron Jackson Jr. coming out of Michigan State as a freshman. So I think teams could see that and see his skill set. Yeah, even when Caleb and uh, Diabate were kind of struggling, they were still showing up on draft boards. Yeah, I I think Max Christie has had kind of a a rough last month or so. But there are still a lot of people thinking he could be a first-round pick this year because the NBA, they, they really do draft on potential, especially when you get to the mid to late first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dickinson, I think, is already, what, 21 years old? He's, I think, the same age as Jaron Jackson Jr., <laughs> who <laughs> played in college four years ago. <laughs> um, I brought up Jaron Jackson Jr. twice on this segment. But uh, I think Michigan, with Terrace Reed coming in, and it could become a logjam. Yeah, point. you do have to you worry You do want that. some attrition, but you don't want too much. Because <laughs> yeah. even when you bring in a bunch of young players like Michigan did this year, with having three guys show up in the NBA, like... Yeah, but I'll just say, like, don't forget about Kobe Bufkin and, and Will Cheddar. I think those, those two, when I was looking at Michigan's class last year i was like those two are exciting yes yeah. yeah and they're far from the most uh highest most, rated. Yeah. yeah anyways yeah. uh we'll get into the the four game stretch michigan state had to close the season on the other side so michigan state basketball closed the season on a two and two stretch uh to uh, in their last four games which all things considered the way they were trending that's not bad if you told me going into the four-game stretch that they were going to go two and two, I'd be like, oh, you know what? That probably means they beat Maryland, and then they get another quad one win, either Purdue or at Michigan or at Ohio State. So I would, I would have taken it. And, uh, you know, I mentioned this on our, our first segment when we, were, when we were recapping Michigan's win over Michigan State, that the after Michigan State had such a, a gritty win over Purdue, like then I thought – if they play like this, they could get a win in either Ann Arbor or Columbus, knowing that Columbus playing at Ohio State was going to be a two-day turnaround from a rivalry game game in Ann Arbor. I was like, okay, put all your eggs in the basket to win at Michigan, you know, and then just like see how the Ohio State game goes after that. But as I said, they came out pretty flat defensively against Michigan and then didn't get much better as the game went on. But the Purdue game. Let's let's talk about that. That was a good time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to talk about it. And I, I thought about calling you up to do like an emergency pod after that game because it was it was really exciting. I mean Well, Michigan and Michigan State are the reason that uh Purdue finished third. Yeah. I mean, those are two games you would have expected Purdue to beat because what Michigan and Michigan State are what, seventh and eighth in the standings or something? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, I, I thought Michigan State might make a change to the starting lineup after the way they showed up or didn't show up at I, in Iowa on that Tuesday. And they did. So, you know, Hogard had made this the jump over Walker at point guard uh, a week earlier. And then they inserted Hall and Marble into the lineup for Hauser and Bingham. And I was pretty in favor of that, even though Malik Hall didn't end up having his best game. He only finished with two points and three rebounds. But the, the biggest player in this game, I think, was A.J. Hogard. He played 30 minutes, and he was mainly guarding Jaden Ivey the whole game. And I, I just think he really played outstanding defense. I mean, Jaden Ivey's a quality player who's going to get his regardless of who's defending him. So if you just look at the stat sheet and see, like, well, you know, Ivy had 16 points and four rebounds, that's a pretty good game. But knowing that there were more than a few times where Hogard bothered Ivy's shot, and there, I mean, one time he just took it right from his hands mid mid jump shot and went down the down the court and scored. I, it was one of the best sequences I've seen from any Michigan State player over the last two years. Um, also, Jaden Ivey got five of those points from the free throw line, so that, that plays a factor too. But yeah, just the overall team defense was outstanding. You know, I I had just been lamenting their slow starts forever and ever. So when they finally had a game where like Gabe Brown hit a three on the first possession, that was wild for me. I was so happy to see that go down. And then Christie got a layup on the next possession, so they were up five nothing. And the two players that have been so up and down all year the most Christie and Brown both saw their first shots go in even when Purdue made a, a run to retake the lead I was like Michigan State's in this one because those two players are going to be engaged offensively they're not coming out down 18 points automatically like they were at Iowa or at Rutgers like this this is a chance and they let it halftime Michigan State did um by two right yeah where was it? I had it. 35-33. 35-33. So at that point, I was like, the, the commentators for ESPN, which most of the year had been really good. I, I think it's Jason Benetti and then Robbie Hummel. I um, like Robbie Hummel. I do too. But I think he did kind of let some of his uh, – Oh, yeah, because he went to Purdue. Yeah. Um, but they they, they kind of hinted like, oh, this, this might be trouble for Michigan State. They've played so well, and they're only up by two. It's not like they were – playing the best game ever and Purdue was playing crappy. Like <laughs> both teams kind of showed up to play and it wasn't, it wasn't the best offensive game. I think they held Purdue pretty, pretty far under their average at 65 points, but yeah, it, it was just a game that from start to finish was tense. And, um, you know, Zach Eady, he got his, he got 25 points in 22 minutes. That was pretty frustrating but that that's kind of how Tom Izzo has defended those those giants that Purdue puts out there. You know, like if you're gonna beat us, okay. Like but, but we're not gonna double team you and let you get three points. Like I we'll give up two points before three. Watching live, and I guess if you look at Ivy's numbers, they looked good, but it didn't feel like he was uh uh and watching live, he didn't feel like he was having as positive a impact on the game as I guess he kind of did because he did shoot 50% yeah and uh, score 16 points but, but one it of, felt like Edie was the only one that was really hurting Michigan at all or hurting Michigan, Michigan State, State yeah. at all uh, whereas on the other side Michigan State it was a group effort and it was, it was a game where Michigan State defended the three-point line really well and obviously 
sometimes you get an open shot, you just don't hit it. But Purdue finished one of nine from three. That's one of their strengths. I mean, Sasha Stefanovic has been there for eight yes. years, <laughs> hitting three pointers. He was over three. Like, if you told me Stefanovic would only have two points for the whole game, I would be like, yeah, Michigan State's winning. Why, do you think that's why Malik Hall had so many minutes versus, like, Joey Hauser, who, like, at least by box score was having a better game? Or yeah. Or maybe I, Bingham playing more? I think by putting either Hall or Marble in the starting lineup, you had to put the other one of that group in yeah. there, too. Because I know, I know Hauser and Hall will play a lot together down the stretch, but you really don't want to start those two out to start the game like you want to get one of your fives in there marble or bingham and also like sissoko had some quality minutes in the first half where he he ended up hitting a free throw but like he was fighting for an offensive rebound you could see the emotion in it and um but yeah i, I think malik hall's defense was probably why he was in the game i like he finished with two points but take into account that the other four starters all had double digits so it wasn't necessarily a game where even though it was close, you needed him to score right. as much. And also Hauser and Walker both had eight, eight off the bench. bench. Yeah. So, and Tyson Walker, you know, as much as I credited A.J. Hogard because I thought Hogard had his best game. I mean, Tyson Walker was the one who finished the game. Yeah, he had the ball in his the hand f- at the end. The finish of this game was really weird too. Yeah, so it was like, <laughs> first of all, the fact that it was 65-65 against Purdue – with Purdue as a top five team and Michigan State with the ball, like I, I texted somebody, I was like, "This is the same score, same basket, same team." Purdue being a top five team as when Miles Bridges hit a three four years ago in 2018, <laughs> and of course Tyson Walker hits a three, not from the same spot. He was on the other elbow. It would have been too perfect if like. Uh, Hobart didn't finish this game because he kind of got hurt, right? Yeah. So is that what was bothering him in the Michigan game, or was it something else? I thought I heard it was like an illness, but they didn't like straight up come out and say because he he's played in every game since then. Okay. But he just clearly hasn't been a hundred. I hate to say it because I know Hogarth was playing well, but once Tyson came in, he really seemed to give him a spark. And I don't know if uh, Michigan State wins if Hogarth finishes the game, not because he was playing poorly, but just. Walker came in and he gave that like bench energy that you want. Yeah, it it was a, a shift in energy, like you said, and then the, like the needs changed over the course of the game. Whereas Hogard, I think, provided a much better start to the game than Walker would have, because Hogard set the tone. Like a lot of people like to say, he's got that dog in him. He's got that dog mentality, <laughs> where he's gonna he's gonna get into you and he's gonna bark after making a basket too. <laughs> so he. He a lot of times you you did see Walker and and Hogarth on the floor at the same time too, in in the Purdue game particularly, which is what we've been asking for a lot. So even though Walker came off the bench, he had 19 minutes, like that's almost starter minutes, and Hogarth had 30. So you said that uh, you uh, you for the most part have liked uh, ESPN announcers this year. Well, yeah, I mean Dan Dockage isn't there anymore, yeah, and you got a uh, uh, Robbie Hummel who's good. Uh, you know who's really terrible, and we can get back on Michigan State in a minute. Uh, I think the Fox ones are really bad. Yeah, Tim Brando, uh, Bill Rafferty, who by the way is a uh, the uh, national guy who uh, who called uh, Iggy Rodeskis Ig Nasty. Oh, did like, he? Yeah, he's the one. <laughs> I, oh, Ig Nasty, lighten up as he cut the commercial. And I usually don't necessarily 
dislike him hard, uh, but he was really bad in the Illinois game. That was yeah. on that was on CBS with Michigan and uh, uh, Illinois. Raftery got I think every game of Michigan State's 2015 Final Four run. Well, he got the first two rounds, and I was just like, I just really developed a distaste for him during that stretch. And I think he called the so Michigan State that year got played in the the last two games of the Big Ten tournament on CBS, which were called by Jim Nance and Bill Raftery and uh, I think Grant Hill. That sounds right. Yeah, and those two call the Final Four every year now. But those that that group also called Michigan State's first two NCAA tournament games. So it was like I had to hear him for four straight tense games, and I was like, I don't like this at all. And then he also called the Final Four game where Duke kicked Michigan State's butt. <laughs> so that might be part of it. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, I already disliked him by that point. I didn't have like a strong opinion of him, but I just feel like he's getting old now. Yeah. Um, Mo Wagner almost killed him, though. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he brings that up all the time. They do. They laugh when, about when it. When Franz Wagner was playing for yeah. Michigan. <laughs> well, look at Grant Hill in that picture. And I know this is a podcast and it's audio, but if you're a college basketball fan. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know the picture. I actually might the, change my cover photo to that picture. From the 2018 Final Four. But I, I kind of cut you off. Anything else about good. this game? Or do you? Um, like I said, they held Purdue to one for nine from three, and Michigan State themselves hit nine of their 23 point attempts including the game winner from tyson walker and then free throws like i was worried free throws might be the difference for purdue to win because michigan state was only five of ten easy math that's 50 percent uh purdue was 14 and 19 so purdue took nine more free throws made four more and uh thankfully it didn't it didn't bite them because tyson walker hit that shot and i was i was really hoping that would be the turn of the corner for walker to be more aggressive but you know, didn't really come out as as well against Michigan, uh, against Ohio State. It just, well, the whole team got down like eighteen to two at at Ohio State. At which point, I was pretty much ready to turn it off. But then they did the worst thing possible, and they came back and they made it a game. Hope. They they made a run to get down by two. It was twenty seven twenty five, and I was like, okay, like this is a great run. And then Ohio State scored the next nine points, and it was pretty much pretty much a ten to 13 point lead for Ohio State after that, which was, you know, just disappointing. I mean, this this was a game that really highlighted Michigan State's need for some post defense because Joey Brunk went for 18 and six. He's the guy who finished the first half strong against Michigan, too. Yeah. Once so Diabate went to a bench, he took advantage. Yeah. So he played for Chris Holtman at Butler, and then he was at Indiana the last couple of years, and now he's at Ohio State. Did Was he hitting hook shots? He was just hitting hook shots. He was just getting around. It was, it was crazy. He is like, a punk. It, it, it covered up the fact that Malachi Branham had 22 and EJ Liddell had 19 because it just felt like Joey Brunk was the star of the game, and it was really pissing me off, <laughs> especially because he played for Butler in Indiana, and you know I hate those two teams. <laughs> anyway, so like that, that Michigan State-Purdue game was – or Michigan State-Ohio State game, I should say – Ended up being a, an 11-point loss. It was a little bit worse than that. But that was a game where it's just like Tyson Walker ended up playing 27 minutes, even though Hogard got the start. And it's just like, dude, you got to look at the basket. you got to look to shoot. Because statistically, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the country. But he only attempted one three-pointer against Ohio State, and he made it. 
but it wasn't he didn't attempt his second shot of the game until the game was already out of reach. So he needs to be someone who, you know, if if you want to start the game trying to get Brown or Christie or Hauser going, that's fine. But if if none of them are going, you have the ability to score. Like just do that. We saw it in the Illinois game. I was hoping, you know, the big shot against Purdue would be the turning of the corner for him mentality wise, but Prong kind of looks like your roommate, which is kind of freaking me out. <laughs> some glasses on there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So like, <laughs> it looks like at Butler, his hair was a little bit more curlier. Yeah, and like he's kind of younger. He's, he's got like a weird airbrush thing going on. I don't know. It, it was really pissing me off. Yeah, there he looks, and then it's like, man, college has been rough yeah. on you. And also just my thoughts about the Ohio State game was just like, this Michigan State team is just the dumbest team. Like, they just make so many dumb mistakes that you would be upset if your team made them in November and December, just like at Iowa, you like you take an inbound pass and then you go back out of bounds to like retry to inbound it. You're just like the guards always do that little feet shuffle as they try to drive. And it's called a travel nine times out of 10 and just like stepping out of bounds, just like so many unforced errors that I only see one team make. <laughs> it's so annoying. So that, that just really got me down that game. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, Ohio State uh, was struggling a little bit down the stretch. Yeah, and they just lost to Nebraska. Yeah, <clears throat> let me. Uh, I'm bringing up their schedule right now. Yeah. Okay, so after beating Illinois, they lose to Maryland. They lose to Nebraska, and then after Michigan State, they lose to Michigan. So they lost three or four, but the team they beat was Michigan State. Right? Yeah, and that's that's kind of been a trend all year too. <laughs> Which is also really weird because. Um, uh, going into that stretch, they uh, beat Indiana by double digits. That's Ohio State, and they mm-hmm. beat Illinois at Illinois. So it felt like they were really like taking control of their season. Yeah, and then they falter down the stretch. And yeah. there, there were some stretches against Ohio State where I was very pleased with Gabe Brown's play uh, because he he kind of left the game early and then came back when Michigan State was down by. 15 or 16 and he was a big part of that run that i mentioned where they got it to within two he was really uh seeking his shot and he was making his shots and leading scorer too yeah i mean he shot really well uh three or four from three like that's that's really good only two michigan state players in double digits yeah bingham and and brown and bingham played pretty well too but i mean how's it minutes yeah Hauser had nine, and then like Walker and Christie both had seven. But yeah, disappointing game for a lot of those players. Malik Hall, again, just had a rough, rough outing. It was it was his third straight game where he just didn't really have a good offensive showing. But getting into the next game against Maryland, that was kind of like the redemption for a lot of players, Malik Hall included. Yeah, I mean, it was senior night. You were in attendance. I was. That's always that's always a boost for Michigan State when I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> you're the reason they won. You are the Jaron Folds of Michigan State. That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, the the Michigan State-Maryland game was great because Maryland just wasn't making shots for the first 10 minutes. So that really gave Michigan State an opportunity to build up a lead. I believe Michigan State was up 18-1 to before Maryland made a field goal. So and that's that was, around the time I turned it off. I watched some other games and did some other things. And it kind of seemed like Michigan State was rolling, but apparently it was closer than it had any right to be for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so Michigan State, they led by as much as 22. Oh, 
they had they had a 20 point lead at halftime and then Maryland came out shooting really well and they they scored the first 10 points of the first half but then Michigan State scored the next 10 points so then it was like okay you know crisis averted Michigan State's back up by 20 but credit to Maryland they kept they kept chopping as Mel Tucker would say or Rutgers would say and they got it down to a three-point game which really had me nervous Thankfully, that's where Gabe Brown on his senior night stepped up and had a, a quick five nothing run himself. And then ah, with seven point, minutes left, that's Russell made a free throw that cut it to sixty one to fifty eight. Yep. And then I believe Gabe Brown made a two, and then they got a stop. And on the next possession, Walker found Brown in the corner. Brown had a nice pump fake and then stepped back into a three. Really nice, really nice moments for both Bingham and Brown in their last games. Bingham made three three-pointers in the first half. I think, don't quote me on this, but I think the last big man for Michigan State to make three three-pointers in a game was Adrian Payne. Like, I know Tillman could shoot it, and Jack, Jaron Jackson. Oh, I guess Jackson. Yeah, Jaron Jackson actually was probably the the last one, now that I think about it. But, yeah, no, it was, it was a good game. Like, they, across the board, played really well defensively. Max Christie kind of had a, a rough go, even though he was seeking his shot early, which I've, I've always wanted him to be seeking his shot more. But, you know, Malik Hall came off the bench, and in 22 minutes he was the leading scorer with 17 points. Just really looked like he had that mentality in him again of trying to be that dude. Hogard looks like he was still dealing with some issues because he didn't play much in the second half. Only played 11 minutes, but... He was efficient. He had four points, three rebounds, two assists. I don't Tyson know about, Walker started too, right? Yeah, Tyson Walker started, had 29 points, and there was a stretch at the end of the first half where he was looking for his shot. Or I think he scored on three straight possessions, including a couple of jumpers from the free throw line. So he finished – I mean, I just talked about how efficient his three-point shooting was, but he was one of five. But I'm okay with that. I'm, I would rather he go one of five than one of one, you know? Yeah. Because if you just go one of one, it's like shoot the ball more. If you go one of five, that's the same production, you know. And if you get a shot off, you're not turning the ball over. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh that, that that shows you what what the turnovers have been like for Michigan State. Yeah. Because so even like, in this game, they had 14 to Maryland's 10. Yeah, I one of those was a shot clock violation right at the end of the game. But even still, like that's still thirteen turnovers against Maryland at yeah. home. Yeah, um, but yeah, big big day for Marcus Bingham. He got twelve points, eleven rebounds. He was shooting the three. Yeah, I I would have liked him to get more than twenty minutes. Like I I didn't understand that. Like Michigan State was down the stretch was riding this lineup of Walker, either Akins or Christie, and then Brown, Hall, and Hauser, and that's that's a pretty good efficient lineup offensively. But defensively, it leaves a lot to be desired. Like, they're pretty compromised defensively. Like, your best defender might be Akins or Christie and then Walker. So then, you know, you got Brown, Hall, and Hauser defending the opponents three through five. Like, that's that's just not great. But, you know, like I said, it was – my biggest takeaways were the team defense overall and then the fact that Walker and Hall both had double-digit games. That's really encouraging to me. So – they got Maryland again on Thursday. If they win, they got Wisconsin. If if they're playing on Saturday in the Big Ten tournament, I'll be really happy. You, 
just put it like that. Like most years, I don't care about the Big Ten tournament. I think Michigan State's pretty safely in, but yeah, they're at eight seed right now. It would be nice to, you know, get a win while you're there. You know, like this is a year where I don't expect Michigan State to make an NCAA tournament run. So if they do make a Big Ten tournament run, like let's just say Michigan State gets to the championship game on Sunday, I think that would mean a lot more to this team than it would to, you know, like teams that have final four national championship aspirations. Yeah. And uh, I said eight seed because I'm basing it off bracket matrix.com. Um, uh, I, I, we were talking off air. I, I would rather be a seven or a 10 seed than an eight or a nine seed, especially yeah. this year. This year, it seems like the probable ones and like the top two, two seeds are far ahead better than the rest of the field. Oh yeah. Yeah. Baylor, Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, Kansas, and Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the six I would say too. Yeah. So you want to avoid one of those two teams before the second weekend. And, you know, we're kind of back to square one with this team. Like it's, it's been a journey, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just kind of closing out with my March thoughts like you did for Michigan. Um, All things considered, we didn't know what to expect from this team when the season tipped off. You know, if you told me they'd be 20 and 11 with wins over Wisconsin and Purdue and UConn, I'd be like, okay, those that's a pretty good season. But it's the fact that they finished with 20 wins and they were 14 and two at one point. Yeah, 17 and four at one point. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they went, yeah. It's, it's all about how you, how you finish or like how you, how you perform consistently. And consistency has been an issue. And that's the main reason why I don't think they're going to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Because I just haven't seen them put together a string of good games back-to-back in a while. And that's, I, that's what you need to do. They kind of they kind of had the season I expected, but not the way I expected. I think mm-hmm. I picked them six in the Big Ten. They finished tied with Michigan for seven. Um, yeah. Um, but <laughs> early in the season, it was like, oh, this team's going to be better than I thought. At one point, they were number one in the Big Ten. And yeah. They uh, – down the stretch, they just didn't look good. So like, I, I know when things were looking really bad during some of the games, a lot of Michigan State fans on Twitter were trying to compare it to the last few years of Mark D'Antonio, and that's pretty far-fetched <laughs> because after that great run that D'Antonio had that resulted in a college football playoff, then it was like three and nine year, ten and ten and three year, then seven and six, seven and six. And Seven and six getting to a bowl game barely in college football is you're basically like an NIT basketball team. It's it's a lot different. Michigan State just two years ago in basketball won a Big Ten championship. And, you know, if, if COVID didn't cancel the tournament, they might have gotten to their second straight Final Four. You know, they followed that up with a weird COVID year where they just didn't meet expectations, but the expectations so they haven't had a three high. and nine year. Right, exactly. I think, you know, to compare the at this stretch of Tommy Zoe's career to the end of Mark D'Antonio's career is not apples to apples. And uh, sometimes uh, success kind of raises expectations. Right. Like Michigan, I mean, has dealt with that themselves with this year and the fan base reaction to it. Exactly. Um, and uh, shout out to Tom Izzo. He finally got that 663rd win and passed that chair throwing Bobby Knight. For uh, most wins at a Big Ten, school. it wasn't easy to do it. It was kind. Of, it reminded me last year when he was trying to pass Judd Heathcote, right? For most, oh, he passed Heathcote a while ago. Who, who, he had one a year or two ago that he was trying to. 
a pass, and it was yeah. like it took a couple games it to did. do it. Yeah, so it was like they beat Indiana, and that put him one game behind Bob Knight. And then it was like it took him a while to get that win over Purdue, which gave him 662. And then finally the win on Sunday gave him 663. Maybe it was like he was uh, uh, trying to pass Gene Keedy or someone. That might have been it, yeah, because – he passed Heathcote for the Michigan State record back in the 2009-2010 season with his 341st win. So, um, but yeah, I mean the fact that just a few years ago he got his 600th win is is something. So, by by the start of two seasons from now, we could be looking at 700. And I I don't think he's anywhere near done. I, I think he is recruiting at a high level. I know this season was frustrating, but it's it's as much on the players just not being able to hit shots or like have that toughness that most of his teams have had. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I just think it's unfair to try to compare this stretch, which isn't that bad of a stretch when you consider they're going to make the tournament again to how Mark D'Antonio finished his career. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I just think, um, for a while, even as good as the program was, Izzo kind of outkicked his coverage in March where he was just, like, outperforming what they would be. Sometimes they would be a high seed, but they still make the Final Four. Yeah. Uh, and they overachieved a bit. And so Michigan State fans got used to winning uh, tournament games, and last year they didn't. And uh, this year it looks like there's a real possibility they could get knocked out of the first round because it's probably – I mean, right now it would It'll be, be against eight, like an ev- a pretty much even yeah, team. Yeah, and uh, so um, when you uh, when you kind of see yourself as a blue blood, it really raises expectations. Yeah, it yeah. does. Oh, well, uh, thank you for listening. I think that's probably that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, check us out on social media. In all seriousness, Paul Bunyan Podcast at Gmail dot com. Paul Bunyan Pod on Twitter. Like our page if you like the show on Facebook, the Paul Bunyan Podcast. And we'll probably be recording, what, this time next week? Probably. We're yeah. less than a week from Selection Sunday. So much going to happen between now and then. And never forget that Mike Krzyzewski lost his last home game as Duke head coach to an <laughs> unranked North Carolina team. That was really something. <laughs> it, it was something. Thanks for joining us, everybody. American Folklore tells the story of Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack of enormous size and strength, who along with his blue ox babe, carved the American countryside, creating many of its landscapes and natural wonders. The major logging state of Michigan has its own battle of men of enormous size and strength as the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans square off in an annual showdown on the college football gridiron. They play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a fitting prize for this historic Big Ten showdown.